UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And as always, a very warm welcome to yet another Life Issues. Today, we're going to talk about grief. Mm. How do we deal with grief? How do we talk to someone who is grieving? How do we help, comfort, ease the pain, help the person to get over the loss? Truth is, death makes us uncomfortable and grief in others makes us wary. We don't know what to say. We don't want to make things worse. And so often we withdraw. But how does that make the carrier of the burden of life-wearying, soul-crushing, colour-draining-from-the-world loss feel? Personally, I have long been an advocate for walking towards those who are grieving. Because even if they reject your care and your support in that moment, that is a lighter burden for you to bear than what they are carrying. And maybe your willingness to bear that for them will give them a moment of hope and a moment of comfort. C.S. Lewis, observing his own grief at his wife's death, described it like fear, talked also of the laziness it engenders as it robs you of energy and motivation, and how moments of normalcy are consumed like an ant in the mouth of a furnace by a stab of memory. So how do we deal with grief? And why so often are those who grieve left to simply get on with it? At the time of recording, we look towards Christmas, one of the most poignant moments in the year for those who mourn, and ask these questions that we might truly find the promise of Jesus that those who mourn will be comforted. Joining me to do this is Yvonne Richmond Tullock, CEO and founder of Atalos.org, a charity driven by the vision that no bereaved person in the UK should be left floundering or alone and unable to find support when they need it. Yvonne, welcome to Life Issues. Good to be with you, Paul. Do we sufficiently identify the impact of grief, let alone support those who are impacted by bereavement? No, I'm afraid I don't think we do it very well, Paul. Um, One of the things that we've been involved in over the years in our charity um, has been been trying to raise awareness of the fact that we're something of a death-denying society. Um, We've uh, we, we have improved a little bit on that um, with the pandemic and, and I think also with the, with the Queen's death um, just recently, there's been quite a lot of talk about death and so on in the media. But, but we've had years and years where, it, where death has been absolutely taboo. Um, and the, um, there's this, this old saying that the, the Victorians were, were, um, were very good at, at dealing, and, and talking with, uh, dealing with and talking about death, um, but they knew no, nothing about sex. And here we are as a, as a nation where we know so almost everything about sex. and We don't talk anything at all about grief. Um, so what that does really is that we've, we've, sort of, we've been left with a, um, a lack of understanding of how it works. And, um, and, and we don't tend to therefore know how to get alongside somebody when they're going through that pain. What do you think it is has taken us to that place? Because it wasn't 
always the case. In fact, if I go back just one generation from me, my parents' generation, they they seem to have no trouble talking about death, acknowledging the pain of grief, and to use the phrase I used earlier, walking towards those who were mourning. Yes, just going back to um, um, Victoria again, you know, Queen Victoria, we go back to our ancestors. Death was ever so much part of life. And uh, and I think what happened was that the it was the wars. Um, you know, if you read about it, people say that the First World War and the Second World War, there was so much death that um, society almost had to turn their back on it in order to look forwards because everybody was grieving. Everybody had that pain. And that was the only way that as, as a nation, we could, we could cope with it and we could, we could um, move forward. But, but the trouble is that we've had well, a whole generation, a whole lifetime of people um, who haven't really experienced death in the way that, um, that, that people used to. And what's tended to happen is that we've, with our medical advances and, um, and, um, and our financial advances, we've got to a place where, we th- where we've almost felt that we could buy our way out of every situation. Mm-hmm. We could prolong our lives and put death off and, um, and almost assume that it will never happen to us. Or if it does, it's only when we get to 90 or something. Um, and so people um, push it away and push it aside. And, uh, and, and then it can really take them by surprise when, um, when somebody dies. I know this is a very personal thing for you because the charity that you started, atalos.org, as I said, it, it came out of your own experience when your husband died. But at that time, you were in ministry in the Church of England. You were part of a cathedral community. You were a person of leadership faith. So surely you were familiar with loss and grief and those around you within the rest of the leadership of that community were familiar with comforting. So surely there was a, if there was ever a place to experience that heart-rending loss, it was there, wasn't it? Yes, um, we assume that, don't we? And, uh, and as a minister, I even assumed that I understood about these things. Uh, when, and then when I was suddenly widowed, uh, as I was, I, I was taken by surprise by my own responses, my reactions. Um, I couldn't understand what was going on for me. And, uh, and I certainly didn't expect things to get worse and worse as the months went by. Uh, I think in, in ministry, we, we can get so absorbed in, in funerals ministry that we can assume that, that um, grief is all about what happens around a funeral. When actually it's it's what happens next. Usually, it's the pain that hits people afterwards. So um, so I wasn't ever so good at it. I realised, and um, and then I I also realised that people around me weren't very good at it either. And it's not you know through no fault of their own, but 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 by what we've just been talking about, um, society being not very understanding of these things. And I think one of the 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 problems with with church is that. Rightly, people expect more of us as Christians because they, you know, they do expect us to be there um, at our time of greatest need. And so, therefore, if we don't get, don't do it well, if we get it wrong, that can hurt even more. I think you've described the experience of those, of that moment of loss, but then, as you say, those months that followed. 
I think you've described it as your life going into free fall. Can you can you unpack that a bit for us? Because it was it was a very sudden loss for you losing your husband, wasn't it? Yes, it, um, Simon was healthy. He'd he'd had um, a, a health check just three weeks before, and been given a clean bill of health. So uh, as far as we were concerned, there was, there was nothing wrong with him, but he suffered a, a sudden, very large um, heart attack. He was abroad on business at the time. And, uh, and so it, it came totally out of the blue. And uh, I was at work one morning and uh, the phone rang and, and the phone kept ringing and the phone kept ringing. And, and it was basically someone phoning to say that he'd been found dead. Um, and so, as you can imagine, that was a, a massive shock. My children and I, they were, um, our, three, our three children were um, sort of just, the youngest had just turned 18, so they were just young adults, um, and all uni age. And, and we all decided that the day that it happened was probably the worst day of our entire lives when mm. it could have happened. And you say about sort of life going into free fall, literally every part of my life was massively affected um, and was a huge challenge. And uh, so, you know, when we, when we grieve, bereavement can affect literally every part of our lives. So um, practical, practically, it was really challenging financially. It was really challenging. Um, I, I didn't function very well at work. It just knocked me for six. Spiritually, it knocked me for six. Uh, literally, everything was a massive challenge. And um, people, people talk about numbness and shock at first, which, you know, I did, I did manage on adrenaline. Um, I managed to keep going initially, but it was as the months went by that it got worse and worse. And, um, and I just, I got to a place really where I just couldn't function. And, uh, and something like about six months later, and I think, you know, you mentioned about, about coming up towards Christmas. And um, this, is, this is the time of year when, when things can feel particularly bad for people. And for me, as I approached the Christmas period, it was, things were getting darker and darker and, and as somebody who'd never had really any real difficulty in my life, I, I, you know, I have to confess, life had been good. I, I found myself in a situation where I was questioning everything and, and even having the occasional thought of this is so hopeless, why carry on? Mm. How did you find a path through that? It was difficult at first. And um, one of the problems is that people, uh, you know, we, all the professionals that we come across, none of them is um, sees, it, sees it as their, their role to signpost you to support. So uh, that, that doesn't happen naturally. For people who are bereaved when, where somebody dies in a hospice and places like that, there can be a lot of good support. But uh, a sudden death or one where that's not the case, people can really flounder. And, and, and that was the case for me. And I was lucky because a couple of people uh, friends mentioned to me about about support services that they knew of, and they were lifelines to me. So one of them was Care for the Family. They offer a, a marvellous support service for those who are widowed young. And I went along to one of their days and then again to one of their weekends that they do. It was literally life-changing for me mm. because I found there others who were in my situation who, who, who got what I was going through. And, and, and who just gave me some hope because when they were talking about being, you know, in such a desperate place themselves, they were able, and, and to be able to say, actually, I'm, you know, now I'm here. 
gave me the hope of getting through. And, and the other service that, that I went, that I was taken to by a friend, um, bless him, he, he, he drove me on, uh, on five consecutive Thursday evenings all the way from Coventry to London um, so that I could access this because there was just nothing else that he knew of. Um, and that was the bereavement journey being run by HTB. Mm. And I went to those five evenings. And again, they were absolutely life-changing for me because I heard there, this is what might happen when you grieve. That this is what might happen when you grieve, and and I thought, gosh, that's me. Yes, that's me. That's me. Um, and it gave me again hope, and I felt that I was able to find the tools to to cope with the the things, the challenges that I was facing, and and see some sort of future. And I I can remember thinking to myself, you know, it used to it was you know if I get through this, um, I, I that was the stage that I was at when I was there. But you know, then it became when I get through this. I'm going to help this 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 lady, and I'm going to get involved in this because this is just so amazing. You're listening to UCB Life Issues, and today we are considering the impact of grief, how it affects a person's life, how it affects the life of a person of faith, and what we can do to truly support those who are carrying the, well, until you've been there, probably unimaginable weight and burden of loss. My guest is the Reverend Canon Yvonne Richmond Tulloch, and she is the CEO of Atalos.org. And you mentioned there how you struggled spiritually as well. And as a cathedral canon at the time, in ministry, in leadership, seen as a representative of the church by people around you, how did that impact you, the fact that you're faith your spirituality didn't seem resolute enough to cope with us well thanks for asking that paul i i grew up in in a in a strong christian home um, and you know ever since i was a little girl i can remember having um a, a sense of god and praying to god and never knowing um not knowing god and it, when I was bereaved, it came as, as a real shock to suddenly um, find myself in a place where God just, just seemed distant. Um, uh, it's just like far away. I didn't stop believing in God, but I just didn't feel like God was there any longer. And uh, this was a really um, sort of alien experience to me. And, 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 you know, you have so many losses anyway when you're bereaved. To have one's faith knocked as well mm. through no fault of your own, as it were, to find yourself in that situation could be really disconcerting. And as you say, especially as you're a minister, it's not, not something that I'd ever heard of before. And uh, since I've, I've mentioned it quite, quite a few times to people, and, and over and over and over again, Christians will say to me, yes, me too. Yes, me too. But I wonder if part of that struggle had to do with guilt and self-recrimination, because we're all inclined to blame ourselves for things, but... I wonder if your struggle spiritually made you feel guilty that as a as a church leader and as a Christian mom that you know what I mean. It it didn't mean make me feel guilty um, because I was a Christian or anything. Um, I think that there's just this sort of emptiness, this spiritual emptiness that people have, where um, where they just have to be and and wait for. Wait for the moment when they realise, like with that footprints poem, 
that God is car- carrying them. Uh, and that actually is what happened for me. I, I found after a while that um, that I'd been making decisions and, and doing things which turned out to be extraordinary and just the right thing. And I began to see that that God had been carrying carrying mm-hmm. me, even mm-hmm. though I didn't feel it. But but going back to the guilt thing, guilt is is really common in grief. It's really common, and um, and and particularly when somebody dies suddenly, because you don't have those moments to to be able to say the things that you would have wanted to have said and and so on. And one of the things that that I struggled with guilt wise was the fact that um, um, I'd been on a pastoral call the the night before, and uh, and my husband and I had an arrangement where he would phone me late at night before he went to bed when he was away on business and. Um, and the phone, my mobile rang and I could see it was him. But because I was on this pastoral call, I ignored it. And then, of course, the next morning he was dead. So for me, I struggled with that. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I found the bereavement journey so helpful, because there was a session there on on guilt and how to, to manage this kind of thing. And the thing that that um, really that found that I found really helpful was to be reminded of the fact that most of us um, Christians are, no, are not Christians, are good people. And and most of the time we do and make the right decisions and good decisions with the information that we've got and, and you know, where we are at that moment. And when and we and we can beat ourselves up so much yeah. afterwards yeah. in hindsight, can't we? Yeah. So when we go back and look at the, the moment, we cannot we should be able to say to ourselves, I did, I made a good decision then, which is what I did because I stayed on the pastoral call. You mentioned the fact that guilt is a common element and the guilt is often sort of listed as one of the stages or states of the process of grief. And I'd like us to explore those a little bit today. But first, I wonder if there is a need to acknowledge that grief, loss of someone close to us, it actually brings a change to our lives that fundamentally we are altered. Our view of the world will never be quite the same again. It might become positive again. We might be able to smile again. We might see the sun again. But fundamentally, we never go back. We can never be as we were, can we? That's right. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, about this sort of death-denying society thing, we can go through life for quite some while um, not encountering death and and really not not having a, a realistic view of life because everyone's going to die. And when somebody does, it's like the scales are removed from our eyes. We've got a, a new perspective on life and, and actually a correct perspective on life because this is the world that we live in, isn't it? You know, one of the things that I'm often saying to people about grief, therefore, is that is that it's the making or breaking of us. Mm. A lot of people review their whole perspective on life when they've had a a, a big bereavement. Suddenly, their um, the sort of the treadmill that they've been on doesn't feel like the right thing any longer. It's, it, it lacks purpose. It lacks meaning. Um, and and so when often when speaking to to young adults who've been significantly bereaved, it can knock them for six. It can send them down um, unhealthy routes of drink or drugs or recklessness or something like that. Alternatively, it can lead people to actually reassessing their priorities and, and saying, actually, I'm going to um, choose 
to to not let this define um, me in, in negative ways, and I'm going to let it define me in positive ways. Mm. And many people uh, who have been bereaved choose to do some amazing things um, out of that experience and contribute to life in, in, in really big ways. And it's important to make that point, and, and thank you for making it, because all too often the sort of death denial that we live with in society um, of causes us not to see that actually grief, whilst incredibly painful, can be a positive experience of growth for us and that actually that imagery that runs throughout the Bible of growth through trial and the refinement through fire and so on and so forth. Actually, yeah, that's what this is. We can be better people because we experience this horrendous pain. Yes, we can indeed. I think it's important to point out, though, that it doesn't make the, 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 the situation itself good. No. Uh, and a lot of a lot of Christians will try to try to um, fix the problem um, with statements and things that they say to people, rather than actually allow people to be in their pain. Yes. But the truth is definitely it, it's very true that we grow around these experiences. Um, you know, if we if we dare to explore our grief and we dare to to grieve and deal with it, there's a, a, a wonderful book called A Grace Disguised by a guy called Gerald Sitzer who talks about how important it is for us to face the darkness and to go through the darkness, to come out the other side. And that's one of the really important things um, about grief is that we have to be brave enough to process it because it's, it's a natural response to us. But if we don't process our loss, we can suppress it. Um, and, and it can actually then sort of eat away at us and, at us and cause us problems all through life or even erupt like some sort of volcano later on. So, um, so it's really important to, um, to work with our grief. So stages or states? Definitely not stages. People um, used to talk about stages. And the problem with that is that it gives this impression of um, some sort of linear journey. So states or phases is, is a better way of looking at it because people have all sorts of tasks. Um, Warden talk about, talked about tasks and um, we, you know, we have things that we have to accomplish and, and everything gets all mixed in and tossed around and muddled up. And we can sometimes go two steps forward and one step back. And, but, but somehow or other, um, we work our way through all of that mess. And, and eventually we find ourselves in a better place. And you're talking about sort of growing through things. We, when, we, when we do go through that mess and we dare to go through that mess, um, we do come out as a better person. It takes courage, um, but it absolutely does help us to grow. Our, our eyes have been opened, as we were saying earlier, um, and we've uh, we've learned so much, and we come out as, a, as just as a better person all round. So, what are these states of grief? How do we identify them? Well, there's a um, a theory called Warden's theory, um, where he has. Uh, four tasks that people have to uh, achieve. Um, the first is to accept that, that the death has happened. And it, it sounds like an old thing to say, but for, for most of us, it, that can be a really hard thing because our, everything about our being wants them to be still with us. And, yes. and, and at first we can 
um, we can behave, talk and behave as if that person's still alive. And even though in our heads we know that they've gone, our bodies and our um, and the way that we behave suggests that they're still with us. Like we reach out for to pick up the phone to make that phone call or we mm. go to make a cup of tea and that kind of thing. So we have to get to a stage. We can't make ourselves get to that stage, but we have to get to a point where um, where we, we know that actually our body, mind and spirit has accepted the fact they're never coming back. Um, and, and then after that, we have to experience the pain. Um, so it's not necessarily after it's all intermingled, but we have to actually experience that pain like we've just been talking about. Um, and then there's this also there's this task of adjustment to all the different things that are going on um, for us, the change that's taking place, our roles, our identity, the different things we have to face. We have to adjust to this new new form uh, way of life. Um, and then we also need to find some way of reinvesting in the future. So um, as as we we look now ahead to all the things that that might be coming our way, we find ways of of embracing that um, in a positive way that actually doesn't leave the person behind, but but takes them forward with us into the new future. And so how do times like birthdays, Christmas, the birth of babies, anniversaries, achievements that we'd want to pick up the phone and tell our mom what we've done or whatever, how do we deal with the challenge that those key events bring to that those states, those tasks that we need to, to pursue? They can be these anniversaries, these birthdays, um, anniversary of the death, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, obviously, um, big one. They can, they can be all really, really difficult times. And uh, we often say that people can, can find the, the lead up to them worse than the day itself. Um, because it's all that anticipation of how you're going to be and how you're going to manage and how you're going to cope when when life is so challenging anyway. So so one of the, the ways of, of dealing with it is to is to know that sometimes that very often the day itself isn't as bad um, as you anticipate. Um, and the other thing, the other way of dealing with it is to is is to plan sensibly for it. Um, try to some people, um, everyone's different when they grieve. You know, everyone has different responses and, and different things that help them. So plan for it in a way that's helpful for you. For some people, um, they want to use those days to do something in remembrance. They want to remember that person in a special way, um, in which case, you know, plan for it. Um, other people prefer to avoid and, um, and therefore they might want to be doing something where it just takes their mind off it all. For for me and um, my family, the first um, Christmas, I just couldn't cope with with Christmas with um, with my three. Um, and none of us could cope with the thought of Christmas. So we went away on holiday. Um, we 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 threw some money into going to um, going going abroad to somewhere that didn't celebrate Christmas. Mm. <laughs> so that we could just have our take our mind off it the first year. And next year it was it was easier for us. Um, but it is about just trying to work out what you're going to find okay and the other thing is um, not to trap yourself because um you know we can make commitments to do things and um and then when it comes to it regret it so again we often say that it's it's probably a good idea to make sure that whatever you do um on the day itself or whatever is, is flexible in some way yes because there is I think uh, we can put on ourselves the expectation of others, can't we? But when you are the person that is 
most intently carrying the grief, when you are the the family, the small group that is most there, there does have to be, you do have to be able to cut yourself a bit of slack, don't you? And and the world around you should cut you a bit of slack as well. Yes, definitely. Because we all oscillate so much when we're grieving and you know, said earlier that we you know, don't, under, don't understand ourselves, it can be very confusing because we can behave in, in contradictory ways and move from one thing to the next. So um, because we don't, don't understand that and we don't know, don't know what's going to happen next, we do need to give ourselves, make some allowances for ourselves. So flexibility is the order of the day. If you can be flexible, it's not always possible. Um, but also, um, if, you know, if we're somebody who's helping somebody else, we need to give them some slack, you know, cut them some slack and understand that sometimes things can be um, changeable and, and, and different to our expectations. Uh, you asked about um, about dealing with anniversaries, and and uh, it's one of the reasons why in our in our charity we, we produce a little badge called remembering somebody, which says remembering somebody on it, because going back to our our forebears that we used to wear black, didn't we? Yeah. And and that was a way of telling people that we are going through this terrible time. Um, of course, we don't have anything like that these days, and so um, so lots of people have said to me over the over the years, you know. I just wish I had a sign over my head to tell people that I'm fragile today and I'm mm. vulnerable. Um, so we've got these little badges, just as a little way of saying, today is a day when I'm vulnerable. Um, please just, you know, cut me that slack. Be, yes. be a, bit, yeah. a bit more careful yeah. with me. And of course, it does apply to more than grief, but possibly grief is the most commonly shared experience that we have that gives us a sense of the intensity of how that can feel. Now, if you want to find out more about the work of Yvonne's organisation, atalos.org is their website. And you mentioned a wee while ago the importance of signposting those we know who are struggling and made the point that, that for you, some very important signposting happened, but there was very little opportunity for people to signpost. How, how do we go about that? Who do we signpost people to? Because many of us would feel it wasn't our place to stick our nose in, wouldn't we? Yes, we can often feel like we shouldn't be saying something to somebody who's been bereaved. But I can, I can tell you that the best thing you can do is to say something to them because uh, they can feel very isolated um, and very avoided by people. And, and signposting is one thing that you can say to them. So if you're sort of struggling with what earth can I say, um, you can at least tell them that you know about where, where um, they could go to find support. We produce the, um, our signposting website for this purpose because there, nobody knows where to go. So, so atalos.org is there, is there for this reason. But, but you know, when on that site, the point is that that is that there um, people can find an, an enormous range of services and information so they can find the thing that's just right for them. Mm. A lot of people think that um, only think about counselling when it comes to bereavement support. Um, and so a lot of people will go to counsellors and actually when they don't need to, simply because they need somewhere where they can sit and talk and, and, and let out their feelings. And, um, and, and a counsellor is somebody who'll sit and listen. So, uh, but they don't need to go, not, not everybody needs to go to specialists like that. So um, there, there's a huge range of support. And a lot of the, the very valuable support is just informal support of people who get it, you know, like the sort of thing, things that happen in churches and, 
Um, and um, there are loads of charities uh, on, our, on our website, 1,400 different services of all different types, from um, social media groups to um, drop-ins to formalised support and, and specialists in, in lots of different ways. So um, I always say signposting isn't just go there to this, you know, this counsellor. It's actually go there and see the, eno- the enormous range that's there available to mm. you and find the things that are just right for you, your situation, um, your stage of life, the, 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 the type of death, the relationship to the person, where you live, you know, and, and then, then, then people can actually find some really good and genuine support. At a loss.org, at a loss or one word, dot org is the website. The Reverend Canon Yvonne Richmond Tullock is the founder and CEO of At a Loss and my guest today as we consider the reality of grief and the struggle of grief. And you mentioned the church. And of course, historically, the church would have been the place that people turned to for comfort at times of loss. And faith would have been a big part of the journey that people would have followed at times of loss. That's not so much the case now. And I wonder, before we talk about things like the bereavement journey that that you mentioned and the role the church can play in helping communities, I wonder if we also have to acknowledge our part in creating a rhetoric that makes the hope that we have, the sort of fairy tale imagery of heaven that seems to have been created around death and loss, whether we have colluded with that and actually as a result not helped people to see the real power that there is in Jesus in times of grief. Yes, it's an it's an interesting um, topic that you raise there, uh, Paul, because I find that uh, that Christians can often um, describe the hope of, of of Christianity and faith in all of this in, in slightly the wrong way. Brief people um, are, struggle with God; they struggle with the existence of God. They struggle with, with with the fact that they they're suffering now. Their loved ones suffered, and God didn't answer their prayers, and all sorts of things like that. Um, and then they also wonder about about heaven and where that person's gone. They wonder um, about whether they can connect with them, uh, and they long to connect with them. They long to see them again. And what and these are these of course so these are all Christian messages, aren't they? They're all things that we have some fabulous answers. Answers for, but what often happens is that when they come to our churches, they find us talking about things in the terms that we want to talk to talk about. They find us talking about Jesus. Now that's not because we shouldn't talk about Jesus, but they're interested in God, and they're interested in heaven. And we hardly ever um, talk about heaven and and the hope of heaven. And if we do, we often talk about it in um, in the context of you must believe in Jesus to get there. And that can then leave them feeling like their loved ones condemned. Mm. So there's lots of issues around all of this. But the fact remains that um, if we can help, um, if we can help bereaved people to have their their confidence restored in God as a God of love, as a God who's there for them, as a, as a God who who wants the best for them and didn't cause the death, if we can help them with their longing for 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 heaven and and an afterlife and um, and help them to long for that and to reach out um, for that themselves. Then we can we can send them in the direction 
um, of Christian faith. And we can also provide them with enormous hope just by, by the people that we are. And they see the love of God uh, through the things that we do in our, in our practical help and our love and our care and our listening and our, and our support. You mentioned the Bereavement Journey course, and I wonder if we could just touch on that because I know I know your endorsement of it, your support for it is a very significant part of what At A Loss can do as well in terms of equipping churches to be hubs, if you like, where people can turn to in trying to cope with grief in a society that very often denies its reality. Um, I've heard it described as like an alpha course for when somebody dies. I don't know that that's particularly helpful, but it, it does kind of catch something of the mood, doesn't it? Yes, it's a, that's actually a rather good description, actually, because it is just like it's like Alpha in the way it's structured, um, and I see it as like Alpha in the term in terms of it being mission, um, because of what we just said just now and all these faith questions that people have, and we talked about their longing for purpose, and so there's there's a huge amount in terms of of people finding faith, a huge amount of opportunity in terms of people finding faith, and the structure is yes, just like Alpha, so it works around. Um, around films and uh, two talks uh, in a session uh, in, in, uh, followed by discussion group each time. And, and the, so, so the point is that people do their own processing. So again, just like Alpha, um, it's not about forcing things upon people, but it's about putting things out there for them um, and leaving them to, to work things through for themselves in their discussion groups with others. They just work things through and they chat about things and they, they come to solutions and answers. And, and people... People say, people come to the bereavement journey from um, any faith or no faith, and, and increasingly a huge amount of people coming from outside church. And, and they'll say that this is the best thing they've ever done. Mm. Um, and uh, they, the, the, the feedback that we have is absolutely uh, you know, extraordinary. And uh, they're so grateful to churches for the help. And it's interesting to me that, that although the i think it's the first five sessions of the bereavement journey are not overtly faith based there's obviously there's an underlying reality but they are very much about the practicalities the emotionals the mental health state and so on the, the, the this optional sixth session which is overtly about faith people go oh yeah i'll do that i want that as well they don't, they, most people don't jump at the end of session five, do they? No, and uh, this is what's so, so special about it, really, because uh, a lot of people come on the bereavement journey um, not expecting to go to that final optional session on faith. Uh, and, uh, and it's made very clear that this is a, a, a course for people of, of any faith or no faith and to keep the faith out of those first, uh, first few sessions and that the, the priority in doing this is to care for bereaved people and to help bereaved people to get through their grief and to really give them some tools to do so and to love them. And uh, people come and they experience that um, by keeping faith out of those first sessions. They see Christians who really do care. And, 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 and there's something powerful about it. You know, there's that anointing upon Alpha. Well, I really feel there's an anointing upon this course. Mm. There's something really powerful about it where people um, are sort of saying, uh, well, at the team, you know, they'll sit back and they'll go, wow, how did that happen? You know, and and, and you see such progress over the, the first few weeks. And then what happens is that um, partly it's because of the 
um, the fact that people are connecting so well and bonding with people in their groups, is, and that's a big part of it. But what tends to happen is you get to the end of these just five weeks and um, and people are sort of, they're just desperate to come to the um, the last week. Um, they're curious. Um, they want to see their, um, meet with their group people, people in their group again. They're, they feel it's just finishing too soon. They just want to talk more. And um, and, and they come to that session. And it's made very clear that um, that it's going to be me giving them the answers that I would give to the to the faith questions that I find that most people are asking. And I do make it clear that I had a crisis of faith as a, as a Christian minister because of my bereavement. And so many people sort of say, well, yes, I've got a crisis of faith too. They're really quite interested. Um, and so they hear the answers that, that I now give, not mm. the ones that I would have given originally, mm. but the answers that I now give, having sort of worked things through from being um, somebody who, who went through such a, a, a big bereavement experience. And I sense that there will be people listening to us today who will be going, actually, that's exactly what I want to do for my community. I want that the church should play that role for a hurting world. And especially at this sort of time of year, because we are recording this as we head towards Christmas, where so many people say they hate this period of time, this season, because of loss, we want to be able to. So how can people, how can churches, how can communities connect with and engage with the bereavement journey? Our charity has two areas of work. We've already mentioned the signposting, which is for um, which is a secular offering for the whole of the UK, people of any faith or no faith, helping them to find whatever's right for them. But we also have another wing, which is um, specifically working with churches to train them and equip them to help people um, who are bereaved in their communities. And that's um, and part of that is is running the bereavement journey and offering that across the UK. Um, with about 150 churches um, already offering it, and um, as I say, amazing. Um, feedback coming from people. But what we're trying to do at the moment is we're trying to um, encourage churches to run the bereavement journey even more so that post the pandemic and 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 over this um, terrible, difficult winter that people have got with a huge, what we're saying is a huge nation of unprocessed grief from mm. years and years, um, to, to plan to run it for January. And it just takes a little while to get going. But if you can plan to run it for January, then you can advertise over the Christmas period in your carol services and in, um, in, the, in your leaflets that go out and so on. You can tell, you can signpost to at a loss. You know, there's nothing else. If you do nothing else, you can do that over Christmas anyway. And then sort of say, and also we're going to be running this um, in January for you. And the, the, the key thing is that, is that the public want us. We, uh, the Church of England did some research in the pandemic that showed that 90% of the public think that churches should be helping them with their grief and they want us to. So, and the churches that are advertising to the public are actually finding that um, just that, you know, they're finding 80 to 100% of people coming from outside church. GPs sending people, social prescribers sending people, funeral directors sending people. You know, the, the, the public wants us and we only have to tell them that we're running it um, and we're here and tell tell the care homes, tell, you know, tell different people. And, um, and, they, and people will come. Mm. And when they come, um, run, run it as we, as we say and, and, and be surprised, um, pleasantly surprised by what God does. And all the details for that can be found at lossandhope.org, which is the sister website, as it were, to atalos.org. So lossandhope.org. 
as I've mentioned a couple of times, as we record, we are heading towards Christmas. And as we said earlier, it's not the only significant moment that can trigger and impact grief and that even years ago sense of loss to actually come washing back across a person's life. So when we find ourselves in the situation where people are grieving at Christmas or at other significant times of the year, we've talked a little bit about how they might feel, but I wonder if we could conclude with what we might do in order to walk along the beach with them so that there are two sets of footprints in the sand. Um, so as we draw to a conclusion then, I've said already that we are recording this as we head towards Christmas. We recognise it's not the only significant moment, but what can I do if people are carrying the weight of grief at Christmas or at other times? We've talked about how they might feel. What can I do to ease their burden, to walk alongside them? One of the things that um, we recommend is that is that you dare to get in touch. Uh, there's a, a little little film on our website uh, which which we devise called Con "Contact, Listen, and Bless," um, and there are three words that it's so you know so easy just to remember. Uh, don't don't avoid. Get in touch if you think of that person. You think, oh, you know, so and so lost their partner or their their mother or something this year and, and now it's Christmas, get in touch um, and just say, thinking about you because this is going to be, I realise this is going to be really hard for you um, Christmas this year, that kind of thing. Um, so dare to get in touch, dare to say something, reach out to them um, and then listen. So we said earlier about how people go to counsellors just because they need someone to listen to them. A lot of people just need to be able to offload. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can pop, you know, pop around and have a cup of coffee with them or something and just say, you must be feeling really hard at the you know, must be feeling really hard at the moment, you know, as we, we're all having these Christmas parties or whatever, and you haven't you you can't have your loved one with you or whatever it might be. Um, and just ask them how it feels and when and what's going on for them and let them talk about it. And I often say, uh, you know, when somebody's um, talked about it, you can say, uh, tell me a bit more. Um, tell me in a bit more detail and so on, because if you could get people to, if you can encourage people to talk, then you're actually allowing them to, to let their feelings out and to process it. You're helping them. Um, and, then, and then bless. It doesn't take a lot to bless somebody. You can do um, all manner of small things that just make their day that little bit brighter. Um, and it can be something as small as sending them a message um, or, 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 or a little present or whatever it might be, or asking them out in some way, but something that just treats them um, and, and helps them to know that you are, that you care and that you're thinking of them because it, no matter how small it might be, those things collectively um, can make a huge difference. Um, and then of course, very importantly, um, direct them to help. Uh, if, uh, if people need to, need to know where they can go for help and it isn't just about you being there for them. If they, if you can signpost them to, um, if you can direct them to atalost.org, they will find on there so many different things that, that, that will just be um, right for them and helpful for them over Christmas and beyond. Atalos.org, 
or if you're looking to get involved as a church community in the work that they do, lossandhope.org will give you all those details. The reality is we live in a world where death is a constant. It is a reliable truth that we cannot escape. And no matter how much our society in recent years has tried to hold it at arm's length, it does come to us all. Loss and grief will be our portion sooner or later. And the message of faith that we have in Jesus is that God's love and compassion is to draw near to those who mourn and grieve and comfort them with hope, with truth and with love. So surely the responsibility for us is to step towards, not away, to be different to how so much of society is and to embrace and to stand alongside and walk alongside those who carry this burden that we might in some way offer them the easing of it. And if they reject that and if they can't cope with that and if they can't accept that in the moment when you step towards them, then accept that. Draw back from Allow them to have control, but let them see that you care. Because all too often, when we are grieving, we don't want answers per se. First and foremost, we want someone to notice the weight that we carry. Atalos.org is the website. The Reverend Canon Yvonne Richmond Tullock is the founder and CEO and my guest today for Life Issues, Yvonne, thank you for sharing your story and your passion in this with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Paul Hammond. This is UCB Life Issues. Join me next week for another one. Ta-da.